In this episode today, I'm going to have an interview with Jaron Rice. Definitely not going to want to miss that. We're talking about branding. So personal branding for an individual sales rep, trying to build a brand in your local market so that you continue prospecting, but you have that brand. Then uh, Patty is going to actually give us some information about same-day funding and a unique program that Chase has. Uh, and then we're going to finish it off with some sales tips from me about follow-up and how to have more effective follow-up. So I don't know, Patty, I think we've got a great lineup today. Oh, I think we do, James. And actually, I think these all kind of like bred together, don't they? I mean, they do. um, you know, branding and funding and, um, and 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 overcoming hurdles in the sales process. Yep, all part of uh, the day in the life of the sales rep that sells merchant services, right? Yes, indeed. Awesome. Let's jump into that interview, and uh, hope you all really enjoy this episode. All right, everybody. I am here today with Jerron Rice, the founder of Magathy Payments. How are you doing today, Jerron? I'm good, sir. How are you? I am doing great. Uh, so I know, of course, Jerron, we had you on the podcast not too long ago talking about this new uh, legislation, which I might bring up at the end to get a little little update on that. Just curious how that all went. But uh, today we're going to be talking about building a local brand for payment processing, which I know is something you're really passionate about. So you know, John, can you give us a little background of just kind of when you got started? You know, how did you get started selling merchant services? Give us a little overview of your prospecting strategy early on. And then, of course, we want to dive in and talk about this building a local brand. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, I got started in the industry. I was looking for a uh, career change. Um, you know, had my resume up on Monster and Career Builder. Sure. Um, was getting inundated with calls from payment processors sure. um, and it, it piqued my interest. And so I ended up asking one of the recruiters, you know, I said, I'm, you know, I'm getting a lot of calls from you people. What's, what's the deal? And she said, you know, uh, in order to be successful at this job long-term, you have to be good at sales and typically you have to be good at math. And so we tend to look for people that have mortgage experience because that's a, skill that translates right. well. And, right. and I had five years of experience. So once I got, um, you know, I, I got it, you know, a little bit more interested in the industry. I started doing some research. I, I saw that, you know, all the companies that were recruiting me had terrible reputations and bad reviews online. And so I just kind of had this idea. I was like, can't, can I kind of do this on my own? Right. Um, and so I just got some counsel for some from some friends and got connected with a guy who had his own company down in Florida and uh, just decided I was going to, I was going to run with it, you know? And so, um, so I did, did you... some survey cause I had some B2B experience uh, working for a web design company. Right. And so I, I surveyed a couple of my old clients that knew me personally and just kind of asked them, I was like, you know, tell me about your payment processing company. And, Everything I heard was negative. Man, I haven't seen that guy since I signed the contract. They never answer the phone. They never do this. They never do that. Right. But one of the resounding things that I heard was, I hate that industry, but if you did it, I would go with you because I know you and I trust you. Right. And that was kind of the, the push I needed to just kind of start my own thing and, and build something from the ground up. So, and it's funny because, I mean, you, you really just touched on the two you know, things about this industry that are so interesting when you get started in it, which is, you know, number one, everybody is unhappy with who they currently have. But number two, in order for them to switch, they have to kind of feel like they trust you and they like you. And there's, there's that, it's a low bar, but there is still that bar there. You have to jump over. So are you saying that from like day one, you were Magathy payments? Yeah. So we, we got, we got connected with, um, a company BCMS out of Hilliard, Ohio. Uh, you know, Jonathan Rossi from Cardex, his, yep. his father is the CEO of BCMS. And so we, we got with them as a, as a sub ISO and just basically ran with it from day one. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's pretty cool. So, okay. So talk to me about, you know, the first, let's say 90 days of, of doing this. It sounds like you had some existing relationships, Talk to me about that prospecting early on. How were you prospecting? Were you doing some door-to-door -door stuff, some cold calls and stuff? Was it a lot of networking? Like, talk to me about the first kind of 90 days and how you started Magathy Payments and started to get that brand out there. Yeah, so first, when I, when I decided I wanted to do this on my own, I had to figure out a name. 
right? right. And it, that was the thing that was bugging me the most because <laughs> I, I worked for a design agency. I knew all about branding and marketing. I was like, I got to think of a name that fits the, the company. And so I was, I was driving down the road, one of these long back winding roads in our county, and I was behind a, a work truck for a company called Magazy Electric. <laughs> and I recognized the name right away because in Anne Arundel County, where we live, there are two major rivers that run through the Magathy River and the Severn River. And I was like, Magathy, Magathy, everybody knows that. Went home, checked the Maryland that website, and there were 127 business entities with the name Magathy registered. And so I said, all right, Magathy Payments. <laughs> right off the bat, people that are local are going to recognize the name, even if they don't recognize me. And so when, when I started cold calling, I was like, hey, I'm with Magazine Payments. Oh, oh, I've heard of you. And I'm like, no, you haven't, but okay. <laughs> and That's so it was kind of strategic on, on my part, you know, with, with naming it. And it was literally, I, I joined the uh, Pasadena Business Association. I joined local chambers of commerce. I was going to networking events and it was literally just going into businesses that I often frequented that, that the business owner would recognize my face because I use them. You know, I, right. I was a customer of theirs and I just started there with people that would recognize me and it just kind of grew from there. So it sounds like from a branding perspective, what I hear you saying is that, um, you know, you want to look for maybe a word that's already recognizable, in your case specifically one that's recognizable as a local thing, right, and then making a name from that so people feel like they have that recognition already of your company and your name. Is that kind of what you're saying? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and for, for what we were doing, for what I was looking to do at, at being the local guy, uh, it, it worked Perfectly. And it's funny because, you know, with a name like Magazine, M-A-G-O-T-H-Y, people that are not from around here don't know how to say it. They don't know how to pronounce it. They don't know what it is. Right. You know, people will, will call it, they'll, they'll say Magasi or, or Mahogany. They, they have no <laughs> idea how to pronounce it. But if you're from this area in Anne Arundel you know. County and you've been here for more than five minutes, you know exactly what it is. And so that that was kind of what what we were going for. I really like that. And, and really, it's interesting because you could almost kind of use that approach. Even I'm thinking of like maybe an ISO that isn't as much local focused. Maybe they're focused on a vertical. You know, they're going to sell hair salons or something. And maybe they could find that unique word that every hair salon owner would know that maybe other people that don't own a hair salon wouldn't know. Is, you know what I mean? Kind of like, is that what you're saying? Like, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. No, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, that, when I was a when I was a mortgage banker, I worked for a, a national lender that had fidelity in their name and everybody that hears fidelity and this was back in the day and people right, you, right. you were calling people in california and they're like oh i've heard of you guys and i'm i'm same thing i'm like no you haven't but right. you, you heard the word fidelity, fidelity sure and you think you know who you're talking to yeah i love that okay all right so really good so that's really good information so then let me let me get a little bit more kind of specific and practical here as far as this this branding so when you say Magathy Payments from day one, is was this a like your business name as an independent broker, or are you talking about actually you register this brand, you know, at the very beginning with Visa and Mastercard and all that? What what are you what are your thoughts on kind of the registration stuff? Yeah, so as an independent broker, that that's that's where uh, that's the route that that we took. Um, and it, it just kind of made the most sense for us because, you know, when you're, especially when you're getting started paying for the registration is Very you, you, you got to have a, a proof of concept first and make sure that this is going yes. to be profitable. Okay. Good, um, got it. Got it. and so that, that's the, that's the route that we went from, from day one, but I knew just from, from the merchant standpoint, there's very little visible difference. You know what I mean? Right. It, it, it's right. it that was I wanted to be the face and the local brand, and like you said, it, it's it's a it was a combination of personal branding and people knowing me. Right. Um. You know, like you had mentioned before, being the credit card guy, like that's that's what I was growing into right. with this. Right. And over time, as our portfolio grew and our our sphere of influence grew, it just the 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 company began to the, the benefit from, you know, sure. my personal brand. Sure. 
So let's, I want to do one little kind of quick sidebar here. So obviously myself and Jaron, neither of us are attorneys. and This isn't legal advice, of course. But, um, you know, what we were talking about with registering the brand, I want to just touch on that for just a second because I did the same thing you did uh, early on. So, you know, the idea here is if you're going to represent yourself as a payment processing company, um, you have to register your brand with Visa, MasterCard. Um, there are some options where your ISO, in some cases, if you're willing to kind of give up ownership of your brand, um, you know, your ISO a lot of times can register your name as a DBA, like a doing business as. So they've registered their brand name. They can register yours under theirs, but then they own it. So there are some different options. But what we're talking about here is more of, you know, when I got started, I was the credit card guy. That was my brand name. That's what I had on my website. That's what I had on my business cards. But I never said that the credit card guy was a credit card processing company. I was a broker and I was an agent with other registered credit card processing companies. And it sounds like you kind of did the same thing, right? Magathy Payments was like a broker and you worked with other registered processing companies. Yeah, and so and that that was one of you know just to make sure that we were covered at the, at the bottom of our website. It, it says Magazine Payments is a registered agent of BCMS. BCMS is an Elevon Payments partner right. and a registered MSP ISO of Elevon. Right. You know, so we right. we had the the disclosure sure. there. There's so definitely that we're an element of compliance. To hide anything, but yeah. Right. yeah, definitely an element of compliance there. We want to make sure you're you're doing things right. So okay, so. Uh, let's let's talk a little bit more here about this brand and kind of this process. So we talked about kind of the first you know ninety days and what you did. Talk about um, you know what you how that kind of transition and maybe how your prospecting maybe changed from ninety days to say the first two years. What you know did you find yourself doing more networking referral type relationships? Was it less prospecting? Like give us some kind of idea of how that transition happened as your company started to grow and your brand became more recognized. Yeah, so I I um I got out of cold calling as quickly as I could. <laughs> it was it, it's 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 not for everyone. Some people are huh? It's not for everyone long term, you know. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean it's it's it, it's a necessary evil, um, but it was one of those things that um, I knew from day one. I'm a, I'm a relational seller, and right. so it, it, you know I wanted to show my value mm -hmm. and then, you know, have people refer business to me. That, that was the goal from, from day one. And so we, we, you know, I had to consistently cold call probably for the first six months or so. And then when I got to the point where I had built it up, where I had, you know, 30, 40, 50 clients, um, I started relying heavily on my existing clients to, to refer me to new businesses. And so did you have like you know, a specific strategy to get those referrals or you, like, did you ask them like, what did, how did you get the referrals? Yeah. So in the beginning I, it was simply, it was simply asking, you know what I mean? Like sure. we would, we would establish a relationship. We would do right by them. We'd save them money. Um, and I, if they were in a strip mall, you know, I'd walk in and say, Hey, do you know the Do you know the the pizza shop next door? He's like, oh yeah, that's Joe. I was like, do you Do you mind walking over with me and just introducing me to him real quick? Wow. He's like, oh Jeez. yeah, sure. Yeah. And it was literally one of those things. Like, if you're if your neighbor, if you have clients that are neighbors with each other in a in a strip mall, and the owner comes over and say, hey, this is my credit card processing guy. He saved me a lot of money. He's done right by me. You should talk to him. Like <laughs> those were layups, I would say you, so. you know what I mean? And so it, it was simple, like based on proximity, right? because it was like, you're, you're right there. It's a strip mall. And, and then I started, you know, doing that with the next guy and the next guy and you would look up and then it was like seven out of the eight, you know, businesses in the strip mall were, were clients of mine. And it just, it kind of grew that way. Um, one of the things that, I sort of developed over time is we do uh, what we call our secondary analysis. So, you know, in payment processing, anybody can promise you that they're going to save you money. One of the things that made us different is that we give a guarantee in writing that our margin will never increase. So we only use interchange plus pricing for, for traditional processing. Right. And Elevon has it built into our agreement that we can't, raise pricing on our interchange or on our markup or, or per item fees without the signed written consent of the merchant. So we give that to them as a guarantee. This is not 
a teaser low rate, we're guaranteeing that our margin is going to stay fixed regardless of what interchange does. Hmm. And so after the first full billing cycle, we would do a secondary analysis where we would take our statement and compare it to the statement that they provided for us to give them a quote on to show dollar for dollar, this is how we performed. Yeah. You know, so your yep. effective rate was 3.2 and we said that we were going to save you $250 a month and now your effective rate is 2.6 and we saved you, you know, $317. And we, we have a, a written report that shows, you know, this is what your volume was, this is what your effective rate was, this is what it is now. Right. If, you, if your effective is, rate last month had been the same as it is now with us, you would have saved X. Correct. Yep, and then we, we ride it out. This is what, 12 months, 16 months, you know, 12 months, 24 months, sure. 36 months, and give it to them in, in a, a PDF document and ask them to save it and say, hey, if you're comfortable giving us referrals, show this form to someone that you would refer us to, you know, and it's got our contact information on it, and we would get, and that's when we would really start asking for the referrals because it's like, all you right, we performed – now we're asking for referrals and that's you know that's how we've been able to sort of maintain that wow so so many things you just brought up that i think are like crucial that we got to like take a step back and and talk about so number one i think your your proximity referral strategy um i think that is amazing i am willing to admit here on the podcast i have never done that and i'm like kicking myself right now like why did i not ever think of that that's the most obvious thing <laughs> Jeez, like, okay, Dude, you, so, you have no idea how much man. that means to me considering I learned so much from you. <laughs> <laughs> That's just so cool. I'm like, I, I'm going to go try that now. I have to. So the idea basically is, hey, you've got a merchant. They're nearby another merchant. The odds that these two business owners know each other is pretty high. So it sounds to me like what you're saying is you go and sell them. Then you're coming back a month later and providing the secondary analysis, which is really a, a, a value to the merchant. But it's also really kind of a marketing thing of like, here's our contact information. Here's how much we actually saved you. Here's what you're going to save over the next 36 months. And it's kind of like you're saying, once you provide that, now you go in and say, hey, look, you know, we provide you all these savings. Do you know the owner next door? Yeah, that's Joe. Okay, great. Would you mind walking over with me real quick? Maybe bring that paper and, you know, you could hand him that and I'll give you another copier. Is that kind of the idea of what you're saying? Absolutely. And then, yeah, I mean, huge. again, you can get, and this is the, the thing that, that I realized when, when you're helping business owners, when you offer good service at a, at a fair price and, and they know that you yourself are a business owner, just like them trying to hustle, trying to provide for your family, right. they want to help you. Right. You know what I mean? Like that. Yeah. And so I would circle back, you know, any given month. And this is something that, that I learned from you that you were, you know, when you were talking about different campaigns, I would reach out and say, Hey, this month, I'm really focusing on roofers, right. right? We have a great card, not present gateway solution. And, you know, what roofers locally do you know that you can connect me with? And I'll get two or three names. And then, you know, two months later, I'm like, okay, that was awesome. This week, this month, I'm focusing on dance studios. And it was like, you'd be surprised how many just pizza shop owners would have connections with these random industry types right. that I would just ask for. Right. And they would give me their, you know, oh, yeah, call Joe over here and so on. And this is phone number. He's my brother-in-law. And, I mean, it, it, it was just. Yeah. It was, yeah, it and was when very you, easy. And to me, that was way easier than cold calling. Oh, yeah. And, you know, when you when you focus it, right? So, like, the idea there is it's not that you're just calling and saying, hey, do you know anybody you could refer me to? You know, that – what I found out early on is that just doesn't work very well. Um, what works right. a lot better is – and, you know, the one you gave, of course, is, like, let's walk next door. But then the other option, the one I use more, is that very targeted of, you know, hey, I'm selling pizza shops this month. I'm selling whatever. And if you – target that all of a sudden if you just say do you know anybody you could refer me to they're going to be like uh and they're trying to think whereas if you say do you know the name of any other pizza shop you know any pizza shop owners in the area or the name of any dance studio owners all of a sudden they're like well yeah i know susan over here i know ryan over here so yeah i, I think that's super super powerful to get referrals absolutely and so and just to add to that you know I, i'm with, with in addition to like you know the local chambers of commerce i'm in a bni chapter and and one of the um, there's a saying in order to be terrific, you have to be specific. And yep. I was listening to their podcast and there was, there was an example of how specificity is so important. 
And it was like, okay, if you give somebody 15 seconds and say, name something white, a lot of people have trouble naming things that are white because that's so 10,000 foot view that they can't focus. But if you say, name something white that's inside of a refrigerator, then all of a sudden it's like milk, mayonnaise, certain types of cheese, eggs, and they can rattle off different things that are white because you've narrowed the scope and made it hyper-focused. And that's essentially what you're doing when you're asking for very specific referrals. It it triggers, you know, um, more referrals. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, I love that. I think that's, it, it's so crucial. And it's true. You know, a lot of people want to build a brand and it's like, <clears throat> if you try to sell everybody, you're going to sell nobody. You know, you, you right. have to, and that doesn't mean, you know, you can try to sell different people over time, but there ha- at any given moment, you have to have that focus of I'm trying right. to sell, you know, whatever. Like, it's funny just in our, in our pro club group, uh, just recently, which I know you're in, um, we were talking, uh, one of the agents was asking me about how do I sell people that don't currently accept credit cards? And I said, you know, it's funny. Uh, I made a decision that I don't sell those people. <laughs> yeah. So that was one oh, of my, I, I agree. And then we just, I mean, just it, in my market counting and surcharging has made it, has easier, made it easier. But right. before then it's like, right. That's a new expense to them. It is. You know what I mean? Yes. And so they, they, and, and here's the crazy thing. And I've, I've said this to people before, like when people are switching to us, when they've seen how bad a lot of other companies are, right. they appreciate the service that, that we provide. Right. But if, if they're new to this, you know, I've brought on new businesses that left only to get stuck somewhere else and then realize after they left how good they had it. Right. You know what I mean? And so right. it's like I, I totally get yep. that, that businesses yep. don't excite that they, they just don't know what they want. Right. Okay, cool. So, all right. So I've got one other question here, and then I want to get to some final kind of takeaway thoughts because this is I mean, we could talk for hours about all this. It's so interesting. Um, but I want to get really practical about communication. So, you know, building a brand, you know, at its core means you're communicating your brand, what your brand stands for, what it doesn't stand for. You're communicating that to prospects uh, and, and clients. So, how did you do this? You know, let's talk about kind of early on and where you're at today. Are you leveraging, you know, email marketing, Facebook, you know, social media, whatever? Like, are you leveraging these other communication tools or how much of it is kind of the in-person face-to-face? Give us some idea of how you're communicating your brand. So it's a, it's a combination of a number of things. And again, because I worked for a, a creative design agency, I understand how important your online digital footprint is. So we, I'm very active on... Uh, Facebook and Instagram, a little bit on Twitter, some on LinkedIn. Um, But in addition to the asking for referrals after we do the secondary analysis, I ask for five-star reviews. And and so like I've even got in in our email template that we send out to the clients along with their uh, secondary analysis, we have links, you know, here's our, here's our Facebook profile. Here's our Google you know, uh, sure. business page. Here's our listing on card payment options. Here's our Better Business Bureau. You know, if if you think that we've done right by you and and are deserving of a five star review, please take a couple seconds and and post it for us. And so, when people are doing research on us because they see me driving, around, I've got a a listed Toyota Tundra that's wrapped in our company logo yeah, and I've colors and everything, so cool. you can't miss me driving through town. When, when people see that and they go and do research on it, the first thing they see is, oh, they've got 55 five-star reviews on, on Google. And then they go to Facebook, oh, they've got 100 reviews on Facebook. And then, it, you know what I mean? So yeah. it's, it's that it, we're communicating, you know, that, that we are a good local business that earns the trust of, of their clients and, and, you know, anybody that, has any sort of presence online that is able to review that sees that that's what we're, that's the best foot forward that, that we're putting out there. Uh, we don't have, and thankfully, you know, with 200 plus reviews across multiple platforms, all of them are, are five stars and that's just, we, we've earned it. Right. You know, right. um, yep, absolutely. and that's how we communicate towards 
Yeah, and I mean, yeah. I you know, I can say too, just because I had looked up, you know, previously. I mean, it, it really is, you know, your Google Maps listing is kind of like the perfect local payment listing. You know, you've got your picture of your truck there that's really cool, and then you have your all your over fifty five star ratings. They're all five star ratings, and then even I noticed on your website as well, you have a whole section there that says uh, check out our reviews, and you've got a link to your Facebook, Google, Better Business Bureau card payment options. You know, so it seems like that's a big part of your brand. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And, and again, I, I know that that's. I feel like in in any industry that it, it's important to have that, but in my experience, a lot of people, unfortunately, a lot of people have been burned by the payment processing industry. Right. A lot of them. Right. And so, being local, being having a physical office in town that's at a prominent location that people know where you are right. and drive past, right. it, it, it makes it way more human than an 800 number across the country where, you, you know what yep. I mean? Like it, yep. ultimately when, if, if somebody's really mad, they know where to find me. <laughs> You know what right, I, mean? right. I hate to say it like that, but yeah. that gives a lot no, of business true. owners you know, comfort. People know, like you're, you're we gonna, know where he is. You're going to provide a different level of service when you when you realize that your potential, your customers, your clients could literally drive to your location and walk in. Um, you're going to provide a different level of service than if you're, you know, in some spot and nobody knows where you are. It's it just <laughs> it's just the way it goes. It's you know you you don't want to have that upset customer. I mean, you you definitely want to protect the brand. So I think that's absolutely. And when you and when you think about it from the standpoint of, you know, in addition to the four local chambers of commerce that we're in, and you know, sitting on the board of directors for the Better Business Bureau and doing their processing, like. I I service every single account like I'm afraid that they're going to go and tell all those other organizations that I'm affiliated with right. that we suck. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like and, oh, and yeah. I tell them like this is why I serve it because we've worked hard to, to earn this reputation yeah. and we work even harder to maintain it. Well, and you know, I'll give you a really interesting example of this. I think you'd appreciate when I, when I first got started, I was with one of these companies that uh, was just a total scam. I didn't realize it at the time. And they were leasing terminals that, you know, a lease can be a good thing, but these leases were not a good thing. These were like ridiculous leases that were total ripoff. And when I realized that, of course, I went to another company and one of the things I did early on that I think really set the tone for my local brand as the credit card guy is that one of my customers had three locations. I had sold a lease on all three that, in retrospect, I realized was actually not even close to a good deal. It wasn't it wasn't the right thing to do. I didn't know it at the time. But, of course, the company wasn't going to refund him. And I basically went to him when I did not have extra money to invest in. This is like 10, 11 years ago. I didn't have the money. And I just went back and I put the money together. And I bought out uh, all three of those leases from him over a period of several months because I just literally didn't have the money to do it up front. And I mean, that cost me prob I probably didn't make money on that account for like two years because of that investment that I made. But that individual actually went and told several other companies like, wow, like this guy is a stand up guy. He actually came back after this happened and made it right. And me doing that, I got so many accounts from that. And so I think it's like, you know, don't like you don't, you don't even need to listen to this podcast interview if you're not going to do right by your customers. There is no way to build a good brand that's not based on doing the right thing. Am I, am I right there, Jaron? Uh, ab absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it, there's no, you know, I, I forgot the, the quote is, but I, I posted a quote a couple of Wednesdays ago that it, it was like, there's, you know, be undeniably good. There's, there's right. no right. social media campaign or marketing that can, right. you know, make up for that. And that, that's, that's, you know, a similar thing where we, um, you know, I had a client, the second client I sold, second client, um, you know, I screwed up on the paperwork. I was new. I meant to put them at 70 basis points and I put them at seven. And after, <laughs> I mean, it was a large account. It, 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 it saved him. So, I mean, he was saving like nine, eighteen, nineteen hundred $1,900 a month. And I was intending to save him like six or $700 a month. Right. And it was when he realized that he was like, Oh, you messed that up. He's like, I, I knew that was too good to be true. He's like, you could change it. Right. I, I get it. I'm still saving money. And I was like, no, I gave you my word. I, it's yeah, right here. You signed documents. You know, I it's said, over. Just, just send me, just send me a couple referrals, and and we'll call it even. Right. And this dude, 
has literally given me at least 15 referrals in the last, you know, four or five years. Right. And all of them have been home runs and his referrals are giving me referral. And it, it goes back to, you know, standing firm on my integrity Right. It, it, it meant something to him. And I know that that's a guy that knows that I'm always going to take care of him and he's never going to leave because he knows that, that my my integrity and my reputation means something to me. Right. Okay, so let's do this. So, Drone, right before we're, we're done here, um, I want to give – I want to talk to two groups that are listening. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, okay. number one – we have individual agents, right? They're out in the field. Uh, they're prospecting. They've been prospecting for years. They hear you and they're like, oh, man, I would love to get on that six-month path to not having to do as much cold calling, et cetera, because I have that local brand that's that's powerful. But, you know, they're working from home, uh, you know, et cetera. You know the drill. Is there a piece of advice, one thing that you would give to, to them to say, okay, Here's what you need to do. What's the first step? What could they do? What's an action they could take this week or this month to kind of get them on the path to building their own local brand as an individual agent? I would say be visible. And by that, I mean joining a local chamber of commerce and starting to network because I network a ton. Right. And I almost never see payment processing people because the industry kind of has a reputation of being transactional and not relational. So, you know, once the contract is dry, you're never going to see that person again. Right. And so when you're out networking and building relationships with people, you're like a unicorn. People are like, because everybody knows someone that needs us, but nobody knows a reliable person. And so if, if you just take those steps and join your local chamber of commerce and go to networking events regularly, so people recognize your face and know your name and, and begin building relationships with them. Um, if, if you work for or work or partnered with a decent organization that doesn't have a terrible reputation, then that's going to go far. If you're, if you're, <laughs> if the online presence of the people that you're working with is terrible, right. it's going to be hard to overcome that. Yeah, nearly impossible. You're gonna have to. You're gonna have to have your own kind of broker brand or something. Um, and let me. I won't even add to that because you know, Jerome. It's so interesting to me because, you know, I'm not a networker at all. I mean, I am now online because you know people are reaching out to me. But I was not the networker when I got started. And so let me give an, uh, another tip of how to do exactly what you just said without doing what you just said. So for me, what I did is every business I walked into, I got an email address. And I invited them to connect with me on LinkedIn, and I sent out a monthly small business email newsletter, which is my thing. I'm a content creator. And so that, I was like, okay, I can wrap my head around that. And I had my picture in that email. I would do like a spotlight uh, merchant of the month where I would, you know, go like interview one of my merchants and type it up as a little transcript. It took me like four hours of total time once a month. And I sent that out every month. And so I never actually joined my local chamber and I didn't do those things. But my version of networking was more you know, online, rare, but the idea is the same. The idea is you need to do something right that's like long term that's going to make an impact. If you're just getting up every day and working so you can make your sales today, you still need to do that. But it sounds like what you're saying is add something to that that's going to have a long term impact on your brand. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it's it's a combination and, and networking, again, is is about building relationships. It's, it's more farming than it is hunting. And right, so right. you kind of have to do both at the same time yep. because it's like, if you want to eat farming takes a while. apples, you needed to, you know, plant a tree last year. Right. You know what I mean? And so that, that's, you kind of <laughs> yeah. do it on both ends. And I think that's one of the challenges in our industry. A lot of the individual agents, quite frankly, they're just, they don't stick around long enough to do these strategies. You right. know what I mean? Like, <laughs> Absolutely. You know, like the, the attrition is ridiculous. Yeah. Like if you're actually planning on implementing some of this stuff, you, it's kind of predicated on like, you're going to be doing this in 24 months. Otherwise, like this is not worth it, you know? So, okay. So, yeah. so yeah. then, so then let's talk about the ISO because I, I wanted to ask you about this because I think it's hilarious that you're on, I mean, I consult for ISOs that have literally 30, 40, 50, 60,000 merchant accounts and your website is significantly better than any of theirs. So, um, you know, the way, you're pre- you. the way you're presenting yourself <laughs> online is much better. So my question to you is, okay, there's an ISO. They have a team of agents covering all over kind of the country or, you know, a, a big group. Um, 
Do you have any advice or thoughts on, you've seen a lot of these companies, uh, you've competed with a lot of these companies, would there be one piece of advice you might give to them that they could kind of implement improving their brand locally through their team of agents or, or whatever? What's a piece of advice for the ISO? I, was, I mean, again, if, if they've got a pretty solid reputation, I, perception is reality. And again, I, I spent a lot of money on our website because, you know, it, it is it is your digital footprint. It's your, it's your online business card. And, and there's a, a level of legitimacy when people go and see a professionally well done website. And so, you know, that would definitely be something that I would look at and, and also highlight like a local, like you said, a local spotlight where if you've got, you know, two or three agents in a particular area, have a landing page specifically for that team that's got their picture and got their bio and has, right, you know, information on there that's going to make them more human. Right. Um, because again, when you're dealing with, with business owners, their, their biggest concern is, you know, I signed an agreement and I never saw that person again. Right. And that's what they're, they, they'll remember that experience as long as they're in business. And so if any sort of effort that you can put into, you know, assuaging that c concern that, okay, here's our website, here's our contact information, here's the people that you're going to be working with so that they know that right. they can contact you. Because if they show up and it's a generic business card with an 800 number on it, and that's the only contact you have with that company. You can't find them online or anything like that. The moment they change that phone number and you can't reach it, I, I literally have dealt with prospects that have no means of contacting their merchant services provider. And that, that frightens right. Well, yeah, and then and then of course what they do when they have a problem is they go on Google Maps to try to find them, and then they see they have you know seventy four one star reviews. <laughs> so yeah, like, and then they're like, <laughs> oh, I, I'm the last one at the party. And didn't realize that right. done business with these people. Exactly. So I think I think some of the things that you that you already brought up are so crucial because even the thing of the reviews, like I know several processing companies I've worked with that have you know we've kind of like let's implement some things to reach out to all of your thousands of merchants if you are providing that good level of service ask them for a review you know if you're not <laughs> then don't but uh if you're providing a good level of service ask them for that review and give them the links and and you have them go on to, to google and give you those reviews because you know that even even 30 you know for a, even a huge company if you have 30 or 40 facebook or uh, you know google maps reviews that are all five star or you've got seven or eight reviews on facebook even though you're a huge company that makes a big big difference for the agent because when that merchant goes to search they're going to find some positivity yeah, no, absolutely. And then the other thing is, is, you know, don't pay for fake reviews. I, I've seen a couple of big <laughs> ISOs do that where they, right, they right. turned around like a 1.2 star into like four and a half because they, they've been flooded with like, if, if you go through and, and actually read the reviews, it's literally kind of like saying the same thing from different people and the, and the profiles only have one star and, and it's just, right. you know, it, it further, you know, pushes the narrative that, that this is a shady industry. Right. Uh, if you, if you, if you do right by people and you ask them for it, most business owners, they, they understand the value of, of good publicity and, and right. will work with you on that. Uh, if you haven't earned it, like don't lie about it. Right. Right. Well, John, I think uh, this has been an extremely helpful interview. I really appreciate you taking the time out of your busy, busy schedule. I know you just had your five-year uh, bash there, so congrats on that. Uh, so thank just, you, sir. Yeah, yeah man, absolutely. Thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, again, I know these tips are going to be useful to a lot of people, so just really appreciate it and uh, wish you the best out there at Magathy Payments. This is the Insider's Report with Patty Murphy, brought to you by The Green Sheet. For the past 36 years, The Green Sheet has been the go-to source for news, analysis, and educational tools that empower and connect payments professionals. If you're not reading The Green Sheet already, check it out on the web today at greensheet.com. Okay, so you know, James, we've talked a bit in the past about the allure of instant funding of merchant accounts. Right. Uh, you know, a few months back, I think it was, uh, I reported on a survey of small business owners uh, consulted by, conducted by the consultancy uh, Ate Group. 
that suggested overwhelming appeal. I think they found something like 96% of small businesses said they liked the idea of receiving instant payments from their right. payment services provider. Yep. 85% said they'd change acquiring relationships if a new guy, a new processor came along offering wow. instant payments, <laughs> which I thought was That's pretty significant. I should say. But even more significant, eight out of ten out of ten business owners said they were willing to pay a fee to get to get funding faster. Hmm. Wow. Um, and a few payment processing companies, as we've discussed, have dabbled in this, you know, charging somewhere around 1% for same-day deposits. Right. But uh, I thought the most interesting thing was that um, in, in early September, uh, Chase announced that it's offering almost instant, that is, same-day funding, to some merchants at no additional cost. The catch, of course, is that they have to maintain deposit accounts with Chase. Right, of course. Of course. Now, Chase's payment... Uh, acquiring arm, Chase Merchant Services, variously ranks as number two or number three among top merchant acquirers in the U.S., mm-hmm. often trading places with first data. Uh, last year, according to the Nielsen report, Chase uh, processed about $22 billion in card transactions. Wow. Uh, now, the new offer of same-day funding applies to merchants working with WePay. And just as a little background, WePay is a 10-year-old software company that got its start in the P2P payment space. Then it transitioned to embedding payment functionality into third-party uh, software platforms like GoFundMe and BigCommerce. Okay. Eventually, the, the, the firm um, also developed mo- mobile card re- readers to support in-person payments. And that, of course, is when it caught the eye of J.P. Morgan Chase, which purchased the Silicon Valley firm in 2017 and integrated the company with Chase Merchant Services. Now, in a press release um, in September, Chase said the new same-day deposit option is available to WePay merchants that bank with Chase subject to daily cutoff times. Now, I think this is noteworthy because it shows that big acquirers do see opportunities in same-day deposits. Right. And while Chase's new same-day funding option is only available now to merchants that have deposit accounts with Chase. Um, it's a safe bet, I think, that we pay merchants represent something of a beta test group for Chase. Right. You know, there's no right. hard cost to Chase for doing this since there's no transaction, ACH transactions needed. And, uh, you know, there's obviously an opportunity to move more business its way. Right. Yep. You know, and and the bond, I think it also responds to market expectations. I mean, after all, consumers and small businesses alike have grown accustomed to instant gratification, yep. or in the case of payments, near instant gratification. Sure. And I'm thinking here of things like you know the P2P apps like Venmo and Zelle, mm-hmm. and of course Square. You know, I was uh, at a little country store the other day, and I noticed that they used Square. Square. Mm-hmm. So of course I had to ask the proprietress, you know, how she liked the service. And she said, oh, I love it. You know, I run a card, and before I know it, the money shows up in my bank account. Yeah. Now, you know, of course, you know, for you and me and others familiar with how things work in the merchant acquiring space, we we understand that the money probably doesn't appear in her bank account instantly. Right. You know, it probably takes a day or two, but for her, that's close enough. Right. And, that, and, and the important thing is that's the, that is the defining feature that – that she believes that, you know, that's why she has Square, you know. That is exactly why, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's I asked her, you know, well, what about, you know, somebody else, you know, they came along. Nope, I don't, you know, I have people calling on me. I tell them, this is simple. I get my money fast. I don't have any hassles. Yep, and that, but, and it's know, funny because that, that statement you just made right there, you know, that is why everybody uses Square. Um, and, I, of course, that could lead to a whole other conversation of, you know, how much will the a price change that they just made uh, affect that, you know, that, that, uh, right. that, that thought be, process. That could have a definite effect on Right, it, but, so I'm sure we'll talk about know, that in a later um, episode, but that's definitely interesting, you know? Yeah, I think, and that I think we'll probably discuss that in our next episode. Yeah, but, definitely. You know, I think the, the, the point here is that same-day funding is something that will allow traditional payment processing firms to better compete right. against the likes of Square. Yep. And, um, and I think this move by Chase success, suggests that it's a trend that we all need to keep tabs on. Well, and I think it's interesting, too, because I think this trend is kind of uh, predicated on some, 
you know, very complex back office technology developing uh, right. that will have big impacts here. Because, right, because, like, really the only – it's not like it's not like processors don't want to do that. It, the only reason no. they don't is because of the risk. Because right. there's still those delays in the system of, like, are we going to get our money? And, you know, do we really right. want to go ahead and pay the merchant before we know we're going to get paid? And so there's kind of that, that extra risk component where – as all of these moving parts in the various card brand networks, the issuing banks, you know, the ACH, like as all of these the things, ACH, the Fed, you right? Know. As all that stuff starts to develop and and that process, the underlying processes are, are you know are speeding up. Well, then you right. know definitely and it's going to you know get subsided. You right. Know, it, it's right. not as great, and I think that right. you know particularly when you start looking at same day ACH, you know, it's still in its beginning stages. But uh, you know, same day ACH is, is now a possibility. Yeah. And and I think that's gonna answer a lot of those those system <clears throat> you know, systemic risk issues. Well yeah, and I think it'll be interesting as we continue to kind of follow this trend because um, I happen to know from <clears throat> excuse me, from two I talked to two different um, presidents of two different, like very, very large processors that everybody would know, who both mm-hmm. told me that they are, you know, in the st- early or, you know, in the stage of, you know, figuring out how they want to roll this out and they want to try it. Right. So I think it's, yeah. I think you're going to start seeing a lot of the instant funding. And, and so it'll be an interesting competitive advantage. Uh, and again, the, the, you know, it's still up in the air as far as the risk and what it's going to cost and what the, if there's going to be any profit in it for anybody, you know, so that part will be interesting. Right. And to I, I mean, that's well. why it's so easy for a chase to do it because it's so right. large. It has these bank account relationships right. as well as the processing relationships. Right. They, they can take care of everything. It's, it's a lot easier right. to offer this to somebody that's banking with you than it is somebody who's not exactly yeah so wow really good stuff patty it'd be interesting to kind of keep following this trend and see where it goes yeah i'm really interested in it as well thanks this is questions from the field brought to you by instantquotetool.com with over 30 training courses covering everything from sales objections to statement analysis ISOs are using our learning management system to help new agents understand the industry and how to sell merchant services. Industry veterans love our courses because we dive deeper into concepts such as interchange and explore new industry trends like cash discounting, NFC, and the resurgence of American Express with the OptiBlue program. Put all of these training courses together with the leading proposal creation tool for merchant services agents in the field, and we believe our branded ISO solution and individual user package is a must-have. Visit instantquotetool.com today or email support at instantquotetool.com to learn more. So, Patty, you know, it's really fun doing these uh, segments on the podcast. I really enjoy it because, for me, frankly, it's actually really easy. There's hardly a day that goes by that I'm not having a consulting conversation or talk to someone in their six-week jumpstart or a pro club where I'm not already sharing these sales tips. And so it's neat to kind of see Mm -hmm. the trends and then, like, you know, what's the thing we want to talk about today, you know? Um, yeah, yeah, it's cool. Yeah, so today I want to talk about really the art of follow-up and how do you really get in contact with the decision maker? And I want to share some right. really interesting kind of stats and trends. Um, and this actually came from a consulting call I literally did about an hour ago. Uh, and it was a question that came up from the agents that were at this kind of roundtable. I was remotely you know, joining them to you know, help them understand how to overcome some objections. And you know, one of the issues that they had brought up was with follow-up, there's these two problems. One problem is <clears throat> I'm talking to the non-decision maker and I want to get to the decision maker. Mm-hmm. And then the second problem is I'm talking to the decision maker and I'm trying to, you know, I realize I can't close the deal today. And so I'm trying to schedule that follow-up and they're kind of trying to slip through my, my fingers here. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. So a couple tips I want to give right off the bat. Number one <clears throat> And I've said this before, but please never ask it for the owner or manager when you go out, walk into a business. Um, the mm, two problems yeah. with that is like, number one, everybody knows you're a salesperson when you do that, you know. Right. Uh, and, right. Num- and number two, there was a survey done several years back, uh, maybe maybe even five years ago, where they interviewed like a thousand business owners and asked them if someone came into your store and asked for the owner or manager, and they asked you for the owner or manager, would you admit that that's what you are? And 80% said no. Yeah, I bet. So if you ask for the owner or manager, you're just asking to be lied to (laughs) because they're going to know what you're doing. You're there to sell them something, and they're going to say they're not available, they're not here. So the first step is make sure that whatever your pitch is, you use that pitch when you walk in, and your pitch should be designed, your sales process should be designed so that 
you're asking them for more and more important information until they get to a point, whether it's, you know, well, who are you currently processing with? Or, you know, oh, I see that you have this system right here. Uh, what are the you know key reasons you chose that point of sale system? Whatever. But as you ask them mm-hmm. these questions, at some point, they should say something like, if they're not the owner, they should say, you know, actually, I'm not the right person. You need to talk to Susan, you know? Right. Sure. So once they say that, now you can just say, great, is she in? Oh, well. You know, if Susan is right, yeah, right, and so now you go into it, and so now there's no mystery anymore. We know who the person is. So right. the first tip is really just don't ask for the owner. Just create a sales process where, if it's not the owner or decision maker, they're not going to be able to continue the conversation. At some point, they are going to have to voluntarily let you know that they you they've gotten in a little bit deep into a conversation that they're not really authorized to have basically. Right, um, right. So that's the first tip, that first side of it. The second side of it is scheduling the actual follow-up, whether it's a non-decision maker or a decision maker. And the key here is don't allow yourself to get pulled into their conversation. You have to stay on point and continue to pivot. So the example I use... You mean this, in terms of them dragging you away, away from, from this idea of scheduling the follow-up? You know, they're yeah. like, well, what do you want to talk about with the owner? You know, right. And you don't, right. you, it's tempting to say, well, what I really would like to do is I'd like to cover X, Y, and Z wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, now they're going to say, well, I don't know if they'd be interested in that. Leave me your card. You know, you can't yeah. open that up. Instead you say, you know, oh, just some, just some stuff about the credit card processing, but would next Wednesday at 9am work or would it work better to come back Thursday at four? You know, yeah. you just yeah. pivot. Um, the just example, pivot, right. the example I used in the consulting session was uh, we've all seen uh, political debates, right? And you know, it's so funny, isn't it? You watch the political debate, and they har- the politicians hardly ever actually answer the question they're being asked. Right. <laughs> right. Never it's like the question, they get right? this question about you know their what what sets their campaign apart, and the next thing you know, they've pivoted to talking about some issue. Why do they do that? Because they're very good at pivoting and staying on point with what they want to talk about. They're not really that interested in what the moderator wants them to talk about. They know mm-hmm. what point they want to get across, and they're getting that point across. And so. You have to do that same thing. So you don't acknowledge the premise of the question of, you know, well, what do you want to talk about or how long do you need or whatever it is. You're just trying to schedule a time to come back and talk to the owner. That's it. So, you know, you can't allow yourself to get dragged into that. So you just very quickly pivot like I did a minute ago. The last thing I will tell you on this pivot, though, is you pivot to a very assumptive, you know, you know, just generalize, you know, yeah, well, I just need to share some information or yeah, I just want to come back and drop my business card off or I just want to do this or that or whatever and just shake their hand, right. whatever, very, you know, very general, but don't stop. You can't say, well, I just want to come back and shake their hand and give them my business card. If you stop, right. they're going to say – Giving them the business card, is he'll say, hey, just give it to me. Exactly. So you can't stop right. there. What you have to do is you have to then just do your pivot and your alternate advance. So it sounds like, yeah, I just want to stop back by, shake her hand, give her my business card and everything like that. So anyway, would Thursday at 4 be my best bet or do you think it would be better if I came back Friday morning? Which would be my best bet to catch her? You know, so you give the information very generalized. You very quickly pivot. Don't let them respond. Just say anyway or okay. So anyway, right. and you pivot and then do your alternate advance. Should I come back at this time or this time? Yes or yes. So. So in, in a way, you're sort of it, it's posturing, really. It is. It is. Yeah. You're you're just yeah. you know the way I the way I tell salespeople to visualize it is you know I call it the sales highway. You know you're on the sales highway and what you got to do is you got to close the exit ramps. So, you know, you just got off at an exit ramp because you can't close the deal right now and you do a follow-up. you got to jump back on the highway. Don't let them take you off on a side road. You know, you got to stay on the sales highway and get from hello to yes as quick as you can. So, you follow those tips, you're going to have some better follow-up. Good stuff, James. Thanks. Thanks, Patty. Thank you for listening to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Whether you are an industry veteran, processing executive, or just trying to learn about the payment space, we appreciate your time. The Merchant Sales Podcast is a joint production from greensheet.com and ccsalespro.com. We hope you will tune in next week for more information and tips on building your merchant services business.